0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Maverick Mondays. I'm your host, Maverick Peters. It is my intention to change your Mondays, to change your week, and to change your life. One episode, one Monday at a time, here on the Maverick Mondays podcast. I've had the incredible opportunity to sit down with some pretty fantastic people. The individuals who are successful at what they do, or are extremely positive-minded in the way they live their daily lives, Those are the people we will be hearing from on this show. Stay tuned for today's guest. Our guest today on the Maverick Mondays podcast is Dr. Dan Gurman. Dr. Gurman is an orthodontist and has been in practice for over 30 years now. He is the founder of what he calls OrthoBrain, an organization and a company that educates dentists in orthodontic care. Dr. Gurman is truly a remarkable person and his positivity is contagious. It is an honor and a privilege to have Dr. Dan Gurman with us here on the Maverick Mondays podcast. Okay, so I'm here with Dr. Dan Gurman. Doctor, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. It's
1: my pleasure, very excited to be here. So tell me about yourself. Um, You're an orthodontist. Uh, How long have you been in practice? So I finished my residency in 1987. So we're over 30 years now. Wow. And pretty soon I'll probably peak. Really? (laughs) I'm getting there. What aspects of your profession are most challenging for you? There is so much abundant opportunity to touch lives in such a positive way as an orthodontist. One of the beautiful things about my profession is that I'm able to wear a lot of different hats. So I can wear the hat as a traditional clinical orthodontist where I work in an office, patients come in, I help them straighten their teeth and I'm able to touch lives in that way. But I can only help the people that are able to come into my office that I'm able to see. So that was one hat that I wore during my career. In order to touch more lives, I found that if I served as an educator, then I could teach other orthodontists how to do the same, and then each one of them could go out and they could touch lives in a powerful way in their offices using some of the uh, knowledge that I gained and the wisdom that I gained over the years. And there's also the opportunity to work uh, in organized dentistry and to work as 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 an educator in the university as well as... In the more commercial sense, where you go out to the different uh, orthodontic associations and, and share all the ways that you're able to help people,
0: this mentality, this drive for you to want to touch people in a positive way, is that was that the birth of OrthoBrain?
1: OrthoBrain was the natural um, evolution of that idea of of trying to find a way to touch people in a real positive and meaningful way. And when I say that, it's not limited to giving them a beautiful smile, but really in the way we interact with each other. And sometimes when you can, when you can have such a positive inter- interaction with a person and show them such a deep level of care and dignity, even when you've never met before, that the idea is that they go out and they do the same with other people that they interact with. That's amazing. And um, have you found success with OrthoRain? we found abundant success with OrthoBrain. OrthoBrain has been the method for us to really transform the way orthodontic care is delivered. There's such a huge need for orthodontics throughout our country, which has thousands of orthodontists, but yet most of the orthodontists are located in really desirable urban centers, particularly along the coast, like San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Boston, Cleveland. And so it leaves 65% of the counties in the United States without an orthodontist. I found that astounding. And there's so many people that we can't reach as orthodontic specialists because of the geographic limitation. Even in the centers that have orthodontists, there are barriers to people going to the orthodontist. The barriers may be in the form of finances. Maybe a family can't afford the fees associated with seeing a specialist. Or maybe an adult patient isn't comfortable going into an orthodontist office that has an open room with chairs. We call it an open bay. And an adult who's dressed in business clothes may not want to sit with a bunch of children that are having expanders and braces worked on. So um, a lot of patients feel most comfortable with their trusted general dentist And so even in the presence of orthodontists, there can be these barriers to people seeking out the care. And the care has such a profound impact on people's lives uh, that I found that my passion in life was to reach all those people. My goal was to find a way to deliver orthodontic care to all the people that have these barriers to receiving the care. Um, I would say most recently in the medical literature we found that orthodontic care makes people's lives better. Really? Absolutely. This isn't the medical research. When I first became an orthodontist, we always thought of it as elective. <laughs> that you know, if your family had money, you could have straight teeth. It was kind of a status thing. You know, it's status symbol to have braces right. on your teeth, right. and that um, it was a, it was it was something that was completely uh, elective by choice. There really wasn't the perceived medical need for it. Here comes research that finds that if you have teeth that are crooked and don't look good, you are much more likely to be bullied by your peers. Really? This isn't limited to the United States. The research for that fact comes from overseas, from the Middle East. Furthermore, the research shows that if you have straight teeth, your teachers and your peers rate you as being more intelligent. They rate you as being a better leader. They rate you as being more likely to be successful and this has a huge impact on career opportunities, relationships, and self-esteem. So it has a direct impact on on people's happiness. So this isn't just some advertising pitch. <laughs> no, this is This me- is a this real published in the in the most highly refereed orthodontic journals, meaning the ones that are referred by scientists to establish their validity. So these were these are really high-level research articles yeah. that are that are um, what is considered evidence-based research. Right. In other words, not anecdotal, but but really went through the burden of proof. Have you ever worked with a patient or a client that you didn't like? Uh, I <laughs> have this on <laughs> Ma- Maverick, it's an excellent question. And the answer is no. <laughs> I love everybody. And it sounds like a ridiculous claim that couldn't possibly be true. I love most people when they're coming, and I love others when they're going.
0: <laughs> but there you, you go there you go
1: there's a specialness in every person and sometimes right. you have to dig a little bit harder to find it it's in there <laughs> how do you compete with
0: organizations or practices like smile direct club or someone like that or candid is yeah
1: is that a uh is that real competition for you we don't view that as a competition in fact i think that there's some advantage to having those types of companies out there not in the form of patient care necessarily, but that it, they have incredible advertising budgets. So if you think about the direct-to-consumer, where you see advertisements on television, it makes people aware of an orthodontics. And so the utilization of orthodontic services goes up in the communities where there's a lot of advertisement. That model is a completely different model than what we have. What OrthoBrain offers is having direct supervision at every appointment by your dentist so your dentist sees you and your dentist can check the health of your teeth the progress of your treatment the health of your gums the health of your jaws the your overall well-being to make sure that you're that you're getting the outcome that you paid for and and the direct-to-consumer model is weak in that area and so it, it's a it's a completely different approach to uh to delivering orthodontics uh, our belief is that having direct doctor supervision is the safest, most predictable way to get what you're paying for. So do you think that they might be doing a disservice? It can be dangerous. I think that medical care without supervision can be dangerous. Can a model like Smile, the the company that you referred to, yeah. I, I, I know you mentioned a few of them, but... Having any, any type of medical care without direct doctor supervision is going to be at a lower standard than having a doctor and a doctor's team be able to assess you at regular intervals. Is there anything negative about going to a
0: general dentist for braces as opposed to an orthodontist? Is there anything that would be lacking?
1: It, it's a brilliant question. Um, there are certainly differences. An orthodontist has gone through several years of dedicated education in the form of a residency. And so the knowledge base for orthodontic care is going to be deeper. The general dentist has some advantages over the orthodontist in delivering the care. The advantages would include the ability to have a hygiene team, have a hygienist actually be able to help improve the home care and the health of the teeth and the gums in their office, as well as provide the long-term care of the patient in the form of supervision. So when you finish your orthodontic care, typically you will see the orthodontist for a year or two after you complete the braces or the aligners. And then the orthodontist typically will tell you to call if you need anything. Whereas in the general dentist office, you're typically going in for cleanings every six months to a year. And so you have the benefit of a hygienist checking the health of the gums and the teeth and the retainers and the dentist checking the bite and making sure that your mouth is healthy. And they have a unique opportunity to see whether or not any revisions need to be made to the retainers, that there are different types of retainers that can have a different level of, say, friendliness to the gums and the teeth. There are different types of retainers that are indicated for, for different types of um, uh, patient uh, conditions. So the general dentist has some advantages over the orthodontist, and ortho-brain marries the two of them. So the idea is that the ortho-brain orthodontists use the vast knowledge and experience that they have and share that with the general dentist in helping to direct the general dentist in coming up with the most accurate and thorough diagnosis meaning identifying all the problems that the patient has the appropriate treatments and then supporting the dentist as the dentist is providing those treatments so what what ortho brain dentists will say is they they feel like they have an orthodontist in their hip pocket as a healthcare provider to so many kids do overbearing parents get in the way the answer to the question is yes overbearing parents can get in the way. The beautiful thing about the overbearing parent is that they're typically very passionate about the well-being of their children or of their loved one who's a patient. So sometimes um, helping them redirect their anxiety and convert it into something positive. Help find a way to encourage their child and improve the possible outcome because they're willing to invest a lot of energy in their children. And sometimes it seems a little bit misguided and a little redirection can help. I gotcha. And have you ever made a mistake
0: in someone's treatment that you couldn't fix? And what did you do? Uh,
1: Yes, I have made mistakes. When there's a mistake in orthodontics, it's very different than a mistake being made in the emergency room. How So, so? Well, God forbid somebody has an accident, they're in the emergency room, and you need to make a quick decision about how to save a life. The heart stopped. Do you give them a, the shocker? Or do you give them the shot with epinephrine in the heart? Or do you, do you massage the heart? Do you, what, do you, what do you do? You have a brief period of time. You have seconds to make a decision on what is going to save that patient's life. If you make the this, the wrong decision, the opposite of them living may occur. Right. With an orthodontic problem, if something doesn't seem to be going as planned, which is it's a fairly common occurrence. You know, when you're doing orthodontics, you make a plan, you plan out each of the steps for the next two years. Well, things don't always go as planned. And if they don't, what the dentist does is they send me pictures and they send questions and then we give them an answer on how to change the tact, how to change directions to get the outcome you want. And it doesn't really matter whether it's me or it was me when I had my private practice or it's me helping another doctor We're able to take a thoughtful look at the pictures, the progress molds of the teeth, the x-rays, and come up with a new diagnosis and a new way to help solve the problem. Um, Maybe we even had a hand in committing it. The fancy word for that is iatrogenic. (laughs) And it can happen. Of course, it happens. But the the main thing is to pick up on it immediately. And if there's a consequence that the patient is going to sense, then we talk with them about it. And I, I think that one of the secrets to working through some of those challenges is having an open and honest, trusting relationship with your patient. And then they are able to overlook the foibles that often can occur in a long-term treatment such as orthodontics, which can take place over a couple of years. And who inspired you in your life? Who do you look up to? It, it, I think it's changed uh, over, over time where... I had some um, I had some heroes as a kid, and uh, some people, at least people from the Cleveland area, and some of those who have taken some of my courses know that my father was an elite athlete. He was a he was a legend. His memory is a blessing. He was uh, he was um, one of the the most likable, charismatic, ethical people that I knew, and he was my hero and inspired me uh, at so many levels. Um, and. My mother, in a different form, was was incredibly inspiring to me. I saw how difficult things were for them uh, as young parents. Financially, they had a very difficult time raising uh, me and my brothers. Uh, they were they were married when they were in college, and I was born while my father was still playing football and baseball at the Ohio <laughs> State University. So my early years were were living in small apartments and moving around as my father. Was uh, trying to, to to get some money, and I saw how hard uh, my mother worked, and uh, to help to help as well as, as uh, supplement what my father was able to earn. Um, I, I admired him for all that hard work and how they 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 put the needs of the children ahead of their own, and so they inspired me. And I met some of the athletes that my father uh, introduced me to, and some of them I found really. Really motivating. A couple of them that come to mind would be, uh, say, Archie Griffin was was somebody who really touched me in a positive way when I was a kid, and and then uh, as as I became an adult, I found I found different people that I began to admire and and learn from. Um, there are so many people in that I look up to now. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to be exposed to so many incredibly talented people. And I refer to my wife as the voice of reason. She has an ability to hear my ideas and, and, and take what I say and try and understand it and, and reframe things in a, in a, in a reasonable way for, for me to put into action. She's played a big role in my life, and now I have adult children. And my adult children are incredibly successful, accomplished, and inspiring. And what they've done that's in order to carve their own path is um, would inspire anybody to hear their stories. So, the success that you've achieved.
0: Yes. Did you have to break any rules? Did you ever have to step out of bounds for a second?
1: Wow, uh, I've never been asked anything like that. <laughs> uh, that's being recorded. Um, the honest answer is is yes. Um, or anything untraditional, I, I, or anything unorthodox. A lot of things that I that I did early in my life I would consider um, unorthodox, and even up to this day, uh, I've done some things that would be considered unorthodox. Not in the spiritual sense so much, but more in the uh, in in the way I go about things. Um, some people might say some of the things I've done are a bit maverick, <laughs> taking a, taking a play on your name. There you go. Um, out of bounds things. Uh, example would be when I was. Uh, young guy I lived on my own um, in Cleveland in East Cleveland and had a had some financial challenges and and I really didn't have a way to pay for college so essentially ran out of money while I was after my first year of college and didn't have a way to pay tuition yeah uh, very few people know that uh, I actually went to school for a term couldn't pay for it and never got credit for the classes so it was an incredible motivation to work really hard in school yeah. and and I applied to dental school after two years of college. I was not accepted into a formalized plan that allowed you to do that, but I pretty much ignored the, uh, uh, the letter that I had from the dental school saying that I wasn't qualified to be in that program. I ignored the letter, and I took all the courses wow. and applied as if I were in the program. And uh, thankfully, they accepted me after two years, so it allowed me to, to continue my education. So. Things early in the career where I stepped a little bit over the line um, were present, and then as an orthodontist, uh, i i saw I saw things that could be done in our profession that were a better way to serve patients. And OrthoBrain is a perfect example of it. You know, OrthoBrain is not the kind of program that. That made orthodontists want to give me high fives. In other words, I have a, I have more than a few colleagues who find the whole concept of ortho brain to be very threatening to their to their profession. And it, how do you handle that adversity? Uh, I like to talk with them about it, and I like to hear what their concerns are. And after they've shared all their concerns with me. Typically, I'll follow up with asking them if there's anything else they can think of. And when they're essentially all punched out, <laughs> then they're ready to listen. Mm-hmm. And I can explain to them how our format works, that our format is not intended to, to um, have general dentists take over the work that orthodontists did, but rather form a marriage between orthodontists and general dentists. In other words, the orthodontist is solving a distribution problem. The orthodontists that talk to me can take their knowledge know-how, and share it across many, many um, places by interacting with general practitioners using our, our software platform and our service. And you might want to know, well, how effective can that be? If you think of it, how many patients can one of the orthodontists see in their office in mm-hmm. a day? Right. All right, there's, a, there's, a, 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 there's a, a modest number of patients that an orthodontist can take care of in, say, a year. We know that if an orthodontist is working through OrthoBrain to care for general dentist patients, that they can help touch many thousands of lives every year probably between five and ten thousand. For one orthodontist, they can probably reach five to ten thousand patients through general dentists delivering the care at their direction. That's incredible, right? So it's solving a distribution problem where we have a lot of talent and. Big cities, and we need to get that knowledge made available to dentists around the globe. And it can be in the form of making the diagnosis, the treatment plans, and providing the support, or it can be in the form of helping deliver some of our education. So we we have we have an education that's that's provided um, to people that are learning from us from the comfort of their homes or from their practices that's amazing i can feel it i'm hoping the listeners can feel it too but there's a there's a, a positive aura
0: radiating off of you that has that positivity always been with you has that always been part of of
1: your nature or has that been something that you've worked on over the years i would say that that i worked on that really hard over the years uh during a rough patch when i was when i was a young guy when i was a teenager and living on my own i had some some challenging jobs in some, in some difficult places in the city. And I had read a book called, um, uh, that referenced this, this special seat called sitting in the catbird seat. It's a short story that I read. And when you're sitting in the catbird seat, you have a picture of where you're going and that you're not going to be in the same place that you are. And although I was going through difficult times, I always had this vision of where, I was going to go, and it was going to be a much better place. Wow. And and so I, I, I learned that it was, a, it was a decision that I would make every day when I got up. I was going to make a decision to make it a great day. It's up to me. I, was, I decided I wasn't going to give anybody else the power to have over me where they could wreck my day or in, in any way take me down, so no matter what comes at me my conscious decision is I'm going to make it a great day.
0: I love that. Attitude. And if it wasn't
1: That's a great, great day and it's noon, I still have a bunch of hours left to turn that day around and I'm going to make it a great day.
0: And what do you do to make it a great day? Let's say let's say you wake up and you're ready to kick the day's butt, right? You're ready to go full on, have a great day. And then it comes noon and it's not such a great day. It comes three o'clock, it's not such a great
1: day. What, what do you try and do to make it a better day? Typically what I do is I continue smiling at the world and eventually, I come across somebody who smiles back at me, and it, it's really effective. And uh, I think it's it, it's so fitting with the profession that I chose. I was going to say <laughs> it's, that it's right there, and and so one of the comments that I hear in places that I go is, "Wow, you know, you always seem like you're smiling." <laughs> and so I'm pretty quick to flash the f- smile, and I found that people returned it. It's almost like a looking at a reflection of yourself in the water, whatever you portray tends to be reflected back at you now having said that things sometimes you feel like there's piling on going on and i'm sure. and, the, and the rough start to the day sometimes seems like it's just getting more and more rough and i have a little file that i keep and it's of really positive things that people will will say to me really and i can reference that and i'll look at that it used to be in the form of written cards so patience uh-huh. and and other people I'd come in contact with, maybe they'd send me a note after I gave them a course and say, wow, that was the best course I went to. I was great. I learned a lot. This was really fun. And, and I'll open those up and I, I'd look at them. And now a lot of them are electronic. So I have a little file. That's and, amazing. And so I share those with my team and, and I call those wins. Yeah. So when I get a win, sometimes I'll, I'll put it in a special folder and everybody on our OrthoBrain team can look at it and celebrate the win together and, and continue to elevate each other. So those are those are some of the strategies. If all else fails, the people who are closest with me will tell me to go take a run. They'll say, <laughs> go take a run and go run an extra mile today, that's and, great. and that's code for, hey, come back with a bigger <laughs> smile. <laughs> right. Um, so
0: I, I hate to go backwards. We were just talking about how positive you are. Um, if you're, you know, if you're comfortable with it, I'd love to talk about a mishap that you had years and right. years ago with your hands. What happened and how did you overcome that?
1: Well. It seemed like life was going really, really well. Uh, My practice was thriving, and uh, I was meeting a lot of the personal goals that I had set uh, on many different levels. And I, out of the blue, developed a neurologic problem that that um, I had never heard of. Whenever you're diagnosed with something that you haven't heard of, and you're a doctor, that's scary. Not a good sign. So. Uh, it, it, it really was, um, a monkey wrench in, in my life and in the life of my family. It turned everything upside down in an instant, um, involved going to the hospital multiple times, multiple times a week for some really unpleasant treatments and ultimately ended up in having some complex, uh, neurosurgery, um, that affected my, my dominant hand, which was my right hand. So people in Dayton, where I practice, knew that I had a problem. They could see the sling and the cast, and and they knew that I had a problem. But um, uh, most people that know me, this will be the first time they they have any idea that I have this neurologic problem. Um, and I've mostly overcome it um, to the to the best of my ability. It was a real challenge in life. There were a lot of medications that were involved, uh, really unpleasant treatments where you just wonder, who ever thought of doing this to a human, <laughs> like, how could you do that to somebody yeah. and think it was going to make them better? Right. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I was able to really reflect on what the important things are in life, and it helped me develop a spirituality that I pursue to this day, and I learned to reframe what was going on in my life, that, that everybody has hurdles, everybody you know has a story, and what am I gonna do with this? Instead of focusing on the things that I couldn't do as a result of this problem in my, in my hand and in my body, I focused on the other 10,000 things that I could do. And, and so over time, I was able to put that aside, uh, redirect and, and come out on the other side, um, probably stronger and better than I was before I had the problem. In other words, I think that being pushed down so hard allowed me to jump up higher than I ever was. And whenever I face adversity now, I always frame it up as to how that compares to what I went through when I was in my mid-30s. And everything is small stuff compared to some of the things that I experienced. And it really gives you a, it gives you this ability to have gratitude in a more powerful way you know when you when you see the opposite of fun joy and happiness and you're, when you're a patient you really learn a lot about navigating our healthcare system and it it was it was it, was, it gave me an opportunity to rebrand my practice so in the mid 90s i made it my mission at that time to transform the way healthcare is delivered. Now, it was a different type of transformation than what I'm doing now. This is a transformation in the way it's delivered, oh, absolutely. but I wanted to transform the way healthcare was delivered in the mid nineties. And so we undertook a process of making our practice develop a culture so that we gave every person we ever touched world-class customer service. Not really good service, world-class customer service. Somebody came to us from the fanciest restaurant, the fanciest hotel, if it was a Ritz-Carlton or a St. Regis or a Tiffany's jewelry store, whatever the fancy places are, that they would say, wow, how did you get your team to care for people the way you do? And there are proof points. So when the postman and the FedEx and the... um, the people who, who tend to the yard at my office then decide to use us as their doctor for their children that we know I know my team is treating everybody that walks in the door, everybody that they touch as the precious human that they are. And so I learned that in healthcare it's very easy to feel like a hunk of meat with a number on you. And and so it helped me embark upon a program of rebranding our practice, myself and our culture so that anybody who ever met me, I wanted them to feel like the highlight of my day was interacting with them. That's amazing. I love that. And so that was a direct result of having been a patient. So in other words, doctors who are patients developed really good hearing. Okay. Right. Because it puts you on the other side of the table. Absolutely. That's great.
0: And so... The name of the show and the theme of the show, Maverick Mondays, is kind of to jumpstart your week. You know, we discussed this a little bit before, and the listeners definitely know. Um, but what advice would you have for someone who is not in the position where you are, where you wake up every morning, you're happy, you're ready, to, ready to take on the day? They wake up and they don't love going to school, they don't love going to work, they don't love whatever that day has planned for them, especially on a Monday coming off of the weekend. What advice? what one piece of advice would you have to offer that person?
1: It's a brilliant question. And here's, here's the first thought that comes to mind. The first thought comes to mind is that all of us as humans are completely different than all the other creatures that roam the earth. When the lion's hungry, the lion chases down some creature. He chases down the deer or the gazelle. He eats them, takes a nap wakes up, turns on ESPN for a couple hours, takes another nap, goes out and gets another snack, and that's how he lives his life. And that's how he's supposed to live his life. As humans, we have a brain that allows us to be reflective. In other words, we can think and make decisions about what we want to be and how we want to live our lives. You know, So what is it that you want to be How is it that you want to be known among your peers and your friends? What is it that you want to develop as your own brand and your identity? What do you want to accomplish in your life? And once you can can identify what it is that you want to be, well, then you've got an address and you have something to work for. And then if you can start focusing your energy on becoming what you want to be, then I think a lot of the static of life starts to 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 leave. It's out of the picture. If you can put the blinders on and focus on what's really important in life to you and it's going to be different for each person, then all the other stuff is just noise that gets in your way. And so it's it's a passionate pursuit of what you want to be and each one of us has different talents and different abilities and different things that we enjoy doing and we have the we have the ability in 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 this time and in our country to choose what we'd like to do and what we'd like to be and then pursue that with passion, determination and interacting with everybody along the way in in a manner that they that those people realize that you recognize them as being precious uh, folks that you that you that you want to treat with dignity. And really, we're supposed to love each other. Dr. Dan
0: Gurman, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to add or share with the audience before we conclude this episode?
1: I'd like to congratulate you on an amazing concept. And I, I find that the interviews are, are, are inspiring and uh, learn a lot from everybody you've spoken with. I think you you covered everything really well with the, with the excellent questions. Thank you so much. Doctor, thank
0: you so much for taking the time. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Here are some great takeaways from this episode. One, don't give anyone else the power to wreck your day. Make the conscious decision to make it a great day every day. Even if the day only has a couple hours left, make those hours great ones. Two, smile at the world and you're bound to get smiles back. Three, don't focus on the one thing in your life that's causing you stress. Focus on all that is good and all that you have going for you. Let that motivate you. Four, for Dr. Gurman, being pushed down allowed him to get up and to get up stronger and better than before. And five, let's all try and be like Dr. Dan, just as he makes it his intention to give world class care to his patients. Let's try and make our interactions with others the highlights of their day. Real quick, before you go, if you happen to be listening to this episode on an iPhone or Apple product, please be sure to leave a kind review on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Otherwise, be sure to check out more at www.mvpodcasting.com. That's mvpodcasting.com. Thank you.